I'm Rachel Johnson, co-host of the Edugals podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. and good evening. I am excited to be here with you again for another wonderful episode of My EdTech Life. So thank you so much for joining us this evening. And as always, we bring you some amazing guests, some amazing conversations, and it's just a great way for educators out there, creators that are out there that are interested, obviously, about the topic that we're going to be discussing today, which will be creativity. Make sure that you join us. Make sure that you join our chat. We are live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter. And of course, if you missed today's show, you can definitely catch the replay and of course the podcast. But I am so excited to be here today, this evening, with a wonderful educator. I am a longtime follower of her work. She has written many books. And today, our conversation is going to be centered around creativity. So I want to welcome to, to the show, I'm so excited, uh, J.C. Maslick to the show. And J.C., like I said, she is a, a wonderful uh, author, educator for many years. And now she's out there helping out schools and definitely building up capacity and just having fun and bringing creativity back into the classroom. So J.C., Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. How are you this evening? I'm so well. And I just appreciate the invitation to to chat with you. And we were talking a little bit before. I mean, it's so wonderful being connected to other great educators. And so I appreciate our connection and and I'm excited to, to chat with you tonight. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, JC. And just to kind of get started off here for our audience members who may have not connected with you yet or may not be familiar with your work, if you can give us a brief introduction and give us your context in education. Uh, So uh, my name is JC Maslick. I am from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I this would have been my oh 25th year uh, in education. Um, I'm about uh, almost one year out of public ed. Um, it's been an exciting journey, though. Uh, a long time educator, uh, passionate about lots of different topics. I think we'll chat about those here in, in a bit. Um, uh, started out as a classroom teacher, like like many uh, of us, and moved on into some different roles as coaching and facilitating. Uh, I was an elementary principal for 10 years. Uh, I still tell everyone that is probably my favorite job ever. Um, I loved being an elementary principal. And um, the last six years, I was an assistant superintendent in a school district. Um, and like I said, in the last year, I have decided to pursue some some different work, um, some of the work that my my books have led me into. And now I get to take on the role of supporting teachers and other principals in their work, moving their schools forward. So uh, it's been uh, a great, great and exciting journey. 
Wow, that is amazing. And that is an exciting journey. And we definitely want to touch base on that too as well, because, you know, you've served in so many different roles. You've seen so many different things. And I'm always interested in getting people's perspectives on the various roles that they've, uh, you know, had throughout their career. But before we do that, I'm always curious about every guest and I want to hear their origin story. And I'm always curious to ask it, and especially for maybe any, uh, you know, pre-service teachers or pe teachers that don't know that they're going to be teachers yet. Like for myself, that definitely went a different route. And then I, you know, I had to pivot. And once I fell into education, I fell in love with it. So there might be some educators that are out there that are, don't know yet that they're going to be educators. But I would love to know, JC, how did your path into or how did your path lead you into education? Well, I, I think I probably ended up taking a fairly traditional path. However, if you would have asked me in high school what I thought I was going to be when I grew up, I would have told you a scientist. Um, when I was in high school, my chemistry teacher, Brother Eric Henderson, he is still teaching to this day, um, he made such a point to connect with students and build relationships. Um, he was one of the teachers that I just felt like he cared about me. He cared about me personally. He wanted me to get better. He encouraged me. And I'll, I'll be honest, I was probably not the top student in the chemistry class, um, but he made me interested in it. I think I, I love the hands-on nature of it. And I thought, all right, I think when I go to college, I think I'm going to study science. I'm going to study chemistry. And my first year in, in college, in, it was tough. Chemistry was tough. And I thought, I still have this passion for science, but I'm going to, I pivoted just a tad. And I thought, you know what? I want to teach. I want to be able to make the connections that he made for me. And I want to do that for students. And so I shifted gears a little bit and changed my major to elementary education. And, and, and that's sort of history at this point. Um, it, it's fun though, to think though, I've always carried that love of of science along the way. I'm very, very passionate about STEM and STEAM education. And I think it probably is because as a learner, I just loved those hands-on experiments. And so that's something that's always been interesting uh, to me. Man, that is wonderful. And see, it just goes to show also just the power and influence that somebody can have in the classroom, you know, on all of us. And for myself, uh, you know, I think one time I was on a podcast and the question was, it's like, who influenced you the most? And I didn't really pick a particular teacher, but I picked a substitute teacher who was a former teacher, but again, through science as well. And it, it, it just was ingrained in me, that influence. And I never thought that I would be a science teacher. You know, I was like, Hey, I'm going to go to business school. I'm going to make the big bucks and, you know, I'm going to be well on my way. And then, you know, there comes that fork in the road moment. And then I fell into teaching and I just absolutely fell in love with it. But let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about your, your experience. So, you know, if you can go back to, you know, elementary teacher you when you first started. Currently, what would be some of the advice that you would give yourself as you started into this new role to kind of maybe kind of put you a little bit more at ease when you first started? Well, I think I've had the opportunity to talk to pre-service teachers. And so I, I think about all the mistakes I made early on, right? I mean, when you're in the thick of it, you you don't realize, and you look back now and think, boy, I screwed that up. You know, I, 
I, I worried so much about classroom management that I overlooked some things that were probably so much more important than that. Um, you know, I, I should have spent more time really connecting with my kids early on. And, and as a brand new teacher, I think you're so inundated with all the stuff, right? Like I have to write these beautiful lesson plans and I better have a management system. So when my principal walks in, you know, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. And you, you want to be on all these committees because you want, you know, you want to make a good impression on your first, first role as a, a classroom teacher. And I think I, I should have just went back to basics and I should have spent time just connecting with my kids. And, and I think I learned that lesson probably in year two or three, right? You sort of start to settle in, your nerves calm down a little bit, you get to know your content a bit more and you get to know your kids more. And um, I think I maybe was too worried about all the other things um, to really focus in on people, um, which is so much of what I do now. I mean, that's the most important part of my job now is is just having those face-to-face -face conversations with people and, and figuring out how I can support what they're doing. And um, that would probably be a piece of advice I would give my former self. Yeah, no, and I agree with you 100%. I think that making those connections before teaching the content, and that's something that I know uh, my friend Ryan Scott and uh, my friend Josh Tovar also, who are amazing administrators, I always say that, you know, it's connections before content. And it's so important. And, you know, I, I can really, your story resonates with me too as well, because it just seemed like once that door was closed to the outside, we were just the masters of our domain there and just having fun and uh, just bringing the lessons to life and with our students and you're building that culture. But then when we open up that door, it's like, whoa, we're like inundated with you know, all the additional paperwork, the additional duties. And of course, like you said, we're trying to make that first impression. We're just starting and we sign up for all things under the sun. And then we're like, whoa, hold on, let's take it back. But yeah, I agree with you 100%. And even now, I'm, I'm sure with your role, like you said, you know, working with teachers, uh, making those connections is definitely so, so important. So uh, can you talk to us maybe now you know, through your experience, you know, you've seen the role as you know, an elementary teacher, and then you've seen roles as administrators, uh, and even, and excuse me, as an administrative role, and even more so now, how important it is it to establish that culture or that psychological safety in a setting? Um, if you can give us a little bit, a bit of your experience through that. Well, I, I think it's more important now than ever, obviously, with all things COVID, you know, having, a, establishing that culture in your building that is supportive and lifting people up when we have so many other things that are, you know, stressing people out and tearing people down. It, it's funny you said, um, did you say connections before content, I think yes. was your phrase. So when I was a principal, I always said people before papers. And so it sets the tone for when I was a principal. I mean, everything was paper. We weren't doing a lot of electronic things. And my desk was always filled with stuff I had to sign off on or this report or that, you know, and I, I never wanted to let myself get bogged down by all the papers because you could be sitting there forever, you know, it, responding to a phone call and filling out a report. And instead of working with the people who were right there, 
right? So getting out from behind the desk and being out in the hallway and being visible and connecting with kids and saying hello to parents. And I think that really helps to establish a positive culture for your school building. Um, I'll tell you today, um, I'm working with a school here in Arkansas. And when I pulled up in the morning, it was busy. It was arrival time and there was a car line and the buses and the principal is out on the sidewalk, smiling and greeting everybody by name. The assistant principal has music playing and is like doing a little dance and high-fiving. And I, I walked in and I thought, wow, like, you know, I, I was tired. It was early in the morning. It was, all, you know, 730 and kids are coming in and everybody's smiling. And I just thought, what a tone that sets for the expectations. Like, hey, school is a great place to be. Everybody is welcome here. Um, and I and I think that permeates through their school building. Um, it sort of made me miss the time of being an elementary principal when when I got to play that role as well. Um, but I think it's so important. It, it's so important for every person to feel like they're welcome and have a place in school. And so the the way that good leaders do that, I'm I'm always in awe of that. That is wonderful. And like you said, it, it's very true. Setting the tone right off the bat, nice and early, definitely can, you know, turn around somebody's morning. Like you said, even ourselves, sometimes we we may be dragging, but then you just get that wonderful smile. Somebody greets you and it just set, definitely sets the tone and even more so with our students. And I, I agree with you. You know, I you know, being missing my days in the classroom, uh, having students come in and welcoming them in, and want and them wanting to be there because they're excited about, hey, what experiment are we going to be doing today? What you know, what activity are we going to be doing on the Chromebooks, and what are we going to be creating today? I mean, it just really sets the tone that we're when students look forward to where you're at because, like you said, you know, for me, I always thought about for many of our students, those six hours could probably be the safest safe six hours that they can have seven to eight hours there at our schools because we don't know what they may be dealing with at home so we definitely want to give them the best and you know want having them look forward to being there so now that we're talking about you know being in the classroom and you know student and building that culture i want to talk about creativity i know that you have a book out through edge match well you know where you talk about creativity and i want to talk a little bit about the book but i want to hear just your personal experience as far as how you brought creativity into the classroom maybe through certain lessons or activities what is it that you remember the most? Because I know being a creative uh, teacher with my students, like I mentioned earlier, the students were always creating. They were hands-on. They were taking ownership of their learning. And it's kind of more of that guide on the side rather than that sage on the stage. But I'm curious to know from you, through your experience, uh, what do you think are the best ways or why also we should include uh, creativity through our lessons. Well, and I don't know that there's any best ways because I think that's the beauty of creativity. It looks very different for every person, right? I, I tell a story in the book um, and my mom always rolls her eyes at me, but um, when I was growing up, I my room was in the attic and I had two sort of rooms to myself and the walls were pretty stark. And one day, one of my girlfriends and I were just laying around in my room when we started doodling on the walls. 
Well, then the next week, like the doodles went onto the ceiling and there's a mural over here and somebody's names over there. And it turned into my creative outlet. And anybody who came to visit, like they'd write something on the wall, a message or their name or whatever. And my mom thought I was a little crazy, but she supported it. And I think that was a risk for a mom to say, yeah, go ahead, you know, draw all over your walls. <laughs> but I think I carried that risky permission with me all through my career as an educator and as a leader, because the fact that she allowed me to do something that was not traditional, not conventional, right? Um, you know, when I, when I was a classroom teacher, I taught mostly kindergarten and first grade. And I would let my kids do all sorts of things. I mean, we would rip things apart and build them up again. We would paint and do things outside and make a mess. And some of the other teachers would think like, oh my God, like, what is she doing? But the kids, that's when they thrived. I mean, they loved the opportunity to do things that broke out of the traditional mold, maybe, you know, like we didn't have to sit in our desks and paint Well, we could go draw on the sidewalk with chalk or, you know, go dig in the mud and build a fort. Um, and, you know, those, those aren't normally accepted, you know, kinds of things um, in most public school settings. And so I think I carried that with me from childhood and, and it, it influenced my decisions as a classroom teacher. Uh, it most definitely influenced me as a leader. Um, when um, probably before a lot of schools were really getting into STEM, STEAM, and maker education, um, my school was presented an opportunity to write a grant, and we created a space um, in like 2010, 11. So back really before a lot of schools were doing some of that work, and it was our place to get messy and try new things and have students be allowed to make choices. And I think I wanted to provide a space where taking those risks was acceptable and, and welcomed. Um, and I think that um, that that also sort of like writing on the walls in my bedroom, that initial step was kind of looked at as, oh, I don't know. They, they have hot glue guns in there. They're giving kids drills. Are we okay with this? Right. But it, there, there were so many kids that it, it impacted in such a positive way and they found their place, right? Whether it was something like, you know, coding or programming, something maybe a little more techish or something very hands-on like sewing or woodworking, kids were able to find the things that they were good at and that wasn't always an option at school. So um, I think my my personal need for creativity carried over into what I offered to my students, both as a teacher and as a leader. And I love that. It it I think that that really resonates. And, and I think you and I, like seriously, like you're, we're very much alike in that sense that I will, taking risk is very important. I think that that's one of the key things being able to take that risk and knowing that, okay, the lesson may not turn out the way you wanted it to turn out, but what good came from this? Or, you know what, just being able to, one of the things that I always tell people, the three things that helped me survive and thrive and just be a great teacher were the ability to improvise, adapt, and overcome those three things. So sometimes, you know, you have a lesson set 
and then it may not go the same way that you intended it to. Well, let's improvise. Let's adapt that lesson or maybe from that mistake, something else great comes through and then just overcome. And I tell you, like once we get into the lessons and when students were hands on and you're building that culture and you're unlocking that creativity, like, you know, like you mentioned here that you really want to unlock that the students, man, they, they were just thriving because you're giving them an opportunity to learn in a way that they feel comfortable with and they're still learning the content. And even though it may look very different than the teacher down the hall, which is what I got a lot, they're like, hey, why are they with the Chromebooks and they're outside in the halls recording? Or why are they outside, you know, with their devices recording, you know, flowers and leaves and doing all this math? And, you know, it looked very different than what a lot of teachers did, but it was just creative approaches to teaching the same thing. And the kids just loved it. And one of the things that I always tell my friends, it's like my mission, my vision, my passion, and my message is just to amplify creativity. And I mean, everything that you said was just so spot on. And I love it that you kept you like the that, that young JC, that creative JC. I love that, that you just mentioned that, that you just brought that into the classroom with you and you started teaching and man, uh, to be a student in your classroom, I would definitely have a lot of fun with those glue guns and building for sure. <laughs> well, but I think, you know, it's from a leadership perspective, I think there's a lot of fear around creativity. I think, I think principals are afraid because, right, we've, we've had all this accountability for all this time. You know, we, we had talked a little bit earlier about standardized tests and I get it. That's the reality that we live in. But we can't let that drive what our decisions are as as leaders. And we also can't let that drive what our teachers are doing. I remember as an elementary principal, teachers would be very fearful of like the dreaded observation, right? Oh, she's coming in to do my observation. I better make the very best lesson I can. And one year I said to them, I want your lesson to be something that either is creative, hands-on, go into the maker space. And I knew that would bring some fear to folks, but I said, I, it doesn't have to be the perfect lesson. I care more about what the kids are doing than what you're doing as the teacher. I want to see how you facilitate their learning and let them lead. And that's going to give me the, the best idea, the best sense of what kind of educator you are. If I walk into a space and kids are collaborating and they're excited about what they're learning and they know where to get their materials and they know what to do next. Those are all things that are reflective of what you've done as a teacher. And I think once they, once teachers sat back and realized that they were like, oh yeah, like you do not have to be, like you said, the sage on the stage. You don't have to be front and center. I would much rather see the kids leading the discussions, the kids coming up with projects, and, and seeing a teacher who's supporting and fostering and maybe nudging the ones who are, who are on the fringe, I think that's much more telling of the kind of teacher that you are. And so I loved seeing things like that in, in classroom visits and observations much more than, you know, a, a fancy proper lesson. I want to see the messy learning. I want to see the kids having fun and, and engaged. And um, I think sometimes that's hard. That's hard to take that risk and and let the kids be the ones who drive that. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. And also that you mentioned, I know before the show, we talked a little bit, you know, it's, it's testing season, you know, it's towards the end of the year, state testing is upon us. Um, I had a conversation and, and this, you know, with Tisha Poncio, she was a guest on a, the show, you know, a couple of months back. And, uh, we were talking a little bit about that create that creativity. And I know she was working with high school students and she said she, she saw like something happened with the students. She had a conversation with them and the students were kind of like a little, you know, hesitant at the beginning in her class because she was very creative and just giving them, you know, just certain abilities or capacities to say, Hey, okay, this is what you're going to create. Here's a rubric, but go to town and you can turn it in in these different modes, you know, so kind of giving them voice and choice and how they're turning things in. And so we had a conversation and they said that they're like, Miss Poncia, like, well, this is like the most creative we've been in a long time. And so she talked to them and said, you know, when was the last time or where do you think that things changed? And she, the, one of the students said, you know, everything changed like around third grade. And then we all went like, whoa, it's like, Third grade is when state testing starts. No test. Yeah. So from third grade till ninth grade. And finally, there's that little peak of creativity going into 10th, 11th, and 12th. Finally. So you've got kinder kind of going up and then, you know, kinder first, second, where they still have a little bit of that freedom to kind of be creative. But then from third grade to ninth grade, it's like, nope, like this is what we're going to do. And we got to make sure we check off every box. And that we just go straight through the curriculum. And again, it goes back to still being afraid to take that risk because, but I got to do this. I got to meet the standards and I got to make sure I teach everything. And that fear sets in. And that is where I was like, wow, that's true from third grade on. And, and then what ends up happening is they almost forget how to be creative. Like they forget what it means to play in a sandbox when you're five or, you know, play with Play-Doh because it's been schooled out of them, right? So one of the things that I talk about in the book is our responsibility as leaders and educators is to build up creative stamina because I guarantee you, if we walked into a classroom right now and said, you know, we're going to do something creative. There's going to be a kid who's sitting there going, I'm not creative. What does she want me to do? Right? Like their guard goes up and they don't know how to do that playful kind of learning. And so we have to build the stamina for them by, you know, putting little creative habits into our classroom and developing routines that support creativity, whether that's through drawing or acting or singing or whatever creative outlet technology. We have to infuse those things in so that students don't lose sight of that. Um, but it takes time, like just like a runner. If, you know, I'm not I'm not a runner. I couldn't go out and run a half marathon tomorrow. I would have to build up my stamina and, you know, maybe I can run for five minutes tomorrow and maybe 10 minutes the next week. Right. But you have to build that up. Creativity is the same way. I think because we've lost some of it over time. We have to work to build those creative muscles again. And I think that's probably what Tisha, that's probably what she was seeing with those students. Yeah. No. And again, it, it just seems it resonated with me because oftentimes, you know, like you said, going back to that risk factor, you know, a lot of teachers, 
it's very difficult also because we also need to model for teachers and, you know, administrators or just other teacher, teacher experts, because, you know, sometimes the expert could be right down the hall or right next door from you're not even really expert, but just the person that just feels very comfortable and bringing in a lot of that creativity. But uh, going back to the curriculum, uh, I remember uh, Matthew Woods, you know, I had a conversation with him because for one of my courses that I'm taking and we're talking about curriculum and he said, Fonz, he goes, here's one thing. He goes, teachers, we, you're never really taught how to teach a standard or a teak, but you just got to think about you. This is your sandbox. So as a teacher, you've got this sandbox that you can go in there and create for your students and teach the standard in a way that you like to teach it. So you can get creative, you can take some risks, but as long as you don't get out of this sandbox or kick out too much sand, you should be good. And again, it goes back to maybe taking that risk. And what are some ways from you, like let's say from your teaching experience that you saw and then moving up to the administrative level, what are some ways that maybe you were able to share just or bring that comfort level with your peers or maybe as an administrator just saying, hey, you know what, it's okay to take that risk. I know you talked a little bit about that evaluation, but were there any specific uh, professional developments that you did, uh, you know, any kind of meetings or how would you model that for, for teachers? Well, so when I was an elementary principal, one of the primary things that I did was we had a physical space. So we had a, a maker space that we did not have a teacher for it. So we had this beautiful space. We had all these materials. Um, and I would go in there every day for all three lunches for, you know, when, when our kids were having lunch or recess. And I would just make myself available. And kids would come in. They would work on different projects. They might ask some questions. We, I, I might do a little, hey, did you know you can do this with, with Scratch? Or, hey, have you taken a look at, we have new sewing machines. And I would just talk to the kids, very informal, drop in when you want to, you know, leave whenever you're ready. And teachers started noticing. It, it was nothing formal. I never said you have to come into the space. I never said, you know, I'll see you at lunchtime. But they would start coming in. Hey, what are you guys working on? Hey, come on in. So-and-so, can you teach, you know, Mrs. You know, tell Mrs. Brown what we're doing. Help, help her to know what, what's happening in here. And so it happened in a... a a rather organic way. I mean, we would start just doing some subtle invitations and um, the kids really drove some of that. I also, from a leadership perspective, made sure that any time that we had a faculty meeting or a PD, we were doing something that was either creative, hands-on, maybe a little unconventional. Um, and I said that a second time and I saw my friend and your friend, Rochelle, just j chimed in. <laughs> um, her, one of her books is called Unconventional. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, we did things that were unconventional. When, when I had a faculty meeting, one of our faculty meetings was I had a bunch of game boards, um, you know, like stuff from either, you know, Goodwill or the dollar store, card games and um, mousetrap and Monopoly and all these game stuff everywhere. And I said, whoever you're working with at your table today, I want you to take all sorts of different pieces from all of these games, and I want you to make up your own game. And they all kind of looked at me like, that's our faculty meeting for today. You're going to make a game with your team, 
and then you're going to tell us all how we play this new game that you created. But the thing that ended up, I mean, the teachers were thinking, they were collaborating, they were la cracking up laughing. I mean, they were having fun. And then, you know, I, I never said anything more about it, but afterwards, a bunch of them came up and said, can I have that? I'm going to take those pieces. I'm going to do this with my kids. Can I, can I have this? Yes, go for it. So I tried to do things like that that I thought were uh, engaging, but yet simple enough that they could be used in a classroom with kids at any grade level. And teachers started doing that. They started adopting some of these things and maybe making them their own and finding ways to put that into their classroom space as well. And I think um, it started to grow because they saw what it did for kids. You know, they saw the engagement of students at that lunchtime group. They saw some of the uh, maybe un unanticipated students excelling. You know, the, the kid that always got in trouble, he was a he was a woodworking whiz. We had a student with autism who could program like no other. So these kids who maybe didn't always do well in their academic classes were shining in this makerspace. And so when the teachers noticed what it was doing for all kinds of kids, they they were more open and willing to try different strategies in their classroom just because they saw the way that that it made a difference for students. And that is amazing. That is such a wonderful, uh, you know, PD session. Again, getting the and it models it. I mean, uh, they just came out so enthused and then just putting that in the hands or just kind of even taking the that concept and putting their own spin on it for pretty much any content area. And it just those little things really go a long way. That is so wonderful. Well, JC, tell us a little bit more about your current work. I know right now you said you're uh, helping out, you know, a school district, but uh, just talking a little bit about that transition, you know, going from now administrator, then assistant superintendent, and then now you're out there bringing, you know, all of these great activities and all of this knowledge and resources to other students. So how was that transition for you from classroom now to going out and helping other teachers also? Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. So it's been about a year. Um, I, um, I had done some speaking and traveling, some consultant work when I was still working full time. And it's funny because my husband would always say like when I would come home from, you know, doing a keynote at a conference or doing a hands-on workshop, He's like, wow, you had fun, didn't you? Like he could tell a difference in me. Um, and, and certainly no disrespect to, to public ed or, or the, the district that I had been with, but he could see that I was happier doing this other work. And he said, I think you're ready. I think it's time. Um, and so I decided to kind of flip that instead of that being the side gig, that became the main gig. Um, and last June, I, I left the public school district and I've been doing consulting work with school districts and traveling and doing PD. Um, and it's been a really, really great experience. Um, I also have the opportunity, I work with a couple organizations to write some content and curriculum for them. And so I still feel like I have that part of my former job. I, I still have that part to, to look forward to. Um, it's, been, it's been hard. I mean, for anybody who's working in a school, it has not been a, an easy year for folks with, um, you know, 
mask mandates and different safety protocols at schools. I think things are are finally getting to a place where we're we're getting somewhat back to normal. And I think teachers are going to begin to feel a little of that exhale. Um, and so it's been it's been rewarding for me to be able to be a support for them during a time that has not been, you know, has not been a great year in education. And so to be there and say, like, what can I do to help you? Is there a resource I can provide? Can I come in and model a lesson? Can we co-teach something together? Um, and, and also not only supporting the teachers, but being able to sit with the principals and say, hey, here are some great things happening in your school. I, you know, I I, I want to help you to continue to grow those. What can we do to work together? And that's been so nice to to be able to come in and, and take a supporting role. Um, and so I, I've really enjoyed it. Oh, that's wonderful. And I think, honestly, like, you know, with the level of experience that you've had from being at the teacher, you know, being a teacher, classroom teacher, then administrator, assistant superintendent, I mean, you've seen it all. You've seen the different perspectives and to the wealth of knowledge that you bring. And even like you said, you know, like when you first started, you know, we learn sometimes trial by fire and you build up that, you know, your, your knowledge base and you continue to grow and learn. And right now, I mean, to me, you're still a teacher because now you're taking it to that different level now and sharing that knowledge. And that's really exciting. And I love that you said, you know, you're coming in and you're helping to support. And I think that for a lot of teachers, they really just want to feel like somebody is there to just kind of help or maybe just say, hey, you know what? You're good. Like if, if maybe there's one little thing to tweak, maybe what can I help you with that? And that just really, again, sets the tone for them and really changes a lot of attitudes. So thank you so much for that work that you're doing out there. And I know it definitely makes a big difference for teachers when they get just a person that is knowledgeable and has a heart like you do that it just wants to share. And, and the fact that like your husband says, you're out there and you're having fun with it. Definitely, you know, that makes a big difference. I'm really excited uh, for all those teachers and really excited to, for the work that you're doing. So JC, before we kind of start wrapping up, please uh, tell our audience members maybe where they can find a lot of your work, maybe, you know, some specific books that you'd like to share or that you're currently working on, uh, maybe a website too as well, where maybe they can find some resources because it's never too late or never too early to start finding resources either for the rest of this year or for next year. But, you know, where, how can we get some of those resources in our hands? Uh, they can always reach out to me on Twitter at Dr. JC Maslick. I do have a website. It is www-steam-makers.com. Uh, steam Makers is was the first book that I wrote. And so the website has all things steam and making and creativity. Um, you can certainly email me, uh, at gmail, and I'm happy to share resources with you there as well. Um, you can find me on Instagram and, and Facebook if those are your preferred social media networks. I'm mostly on Twitter. I'm most active, I should say, on Twitter. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to share resources. I love traveling to school districts and doing hands-on workshops. Um, my work is definitely not the sit and get kind of type. Um, we're building and we're doing design challenges and we're connecting it with literature. That's just sort of the nature of um, uh, the kind of work that I like to do best. And I think that's the best way that we can get creative things happening in classrooms is if the PD that we do as teachers 
is in that same vein. So, you know, we're building things and we're drawing things and we're acting things out and, and laughing and having a good time. And I think that's, um, that's what allows teachers to go back and try some of those things in their classrooms. Uh, and you're right. I mean, it's never too late. Um, I'm, I already am booking for schools in the fall. So please reach out. I, I would love to be able to support some of the work that is happening all across the country. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. But before we end the show, I always love to ask the following three questions so as we can kind of wrap up on, you know, kind of a little lighter note there and everything. Just have some fun here. So my first question to you, JC, is if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? I think it would have to be something about kindness, like be kind, just a, a big be kind, maybe with a smiley face. I don't know, um, because I think that's a message that deserves repeating. And, you know, I'm thinking all the billboards I see on the highway. I, I don't want an advertisement. I want something that reminds me to feel good and to make others feel good. Nice. Excellent. I really love that a lot. Now, here's another a little tough question. And being that you have had the teacher experience, the administrator experience, superintendent experience, and you've seen what education has gone through, the changes, the educate education, the changes to the education landscape, excuse me. What would you say currently right now is your edu kryptonite? Uh, well, okay, I think it depends on how you define kryptonite right like if crypt if the kryptonite is my personal weakness like then my personal kryptonite is taking on too many things and always saying yes to all the things <laughs> <laughs> but if you think about it like in terms of like superman like kryptonite is what took him down mm -hmm. like the thing that weighs on me and takes me down is the the saying like well we've always done it that way you know I, that is my most like that's the thing that like is the dagger to my heart so like I think of I think of Superman and the kryptonite and he, it's like pushing him down like that's what pushes me down is when people are stuck in the mindset of well we've just always done it that way and so that's how we'll do it Yes, definitely. I agree with you. Those are some very dangerous words. That's for sure. All right. And the last question, JC. So let's say that the roles were reversed and this is you. You are actually hosting your podcast here and I'm a guest on your show. What would be one question that you would like to ask me? I would I would say, you know, Fonz, my I'm probably more strong with hands on creativity but you are probably strong in technical, technology, digital creativity. Tell me one tool that you think I should learn to enhance digital creativity in my school or my classroom. Ooh, that is a good one. There are a couple, there are several. Well, I'm going to name, I'm going to say two. And the one, and I think you named one of them already that you already used. And one of my main ones go to was Scratch when we would use science lessons. The students actually would program their own uh, moon cycles and everything. And I, we even had students that were creating their own star test tutorials on there, you know, doing water cycle and so on. So that is definitely a great one. The other one I would say would probably be more on the digital creativity 
uh, poster creation would be something like uh, Adobe Creative Cloud Express. Uh, I, w I always love to share with my students the fact that they can go ahead and still show me their learning through their own impression as far as creating a digital poster, a drawing, they can create their own video. And so having a suite like that where they can record themselves if they just want to record the webcam or create a story that goes along with the lesson or just create a poster with what they've learned. I think to me that really allows them to really get those creative juices flowing and be able to convey that big message or the overall arching theme into a nice, concise drawing. And I, they always loved it. And I always loved it as well, because what I always told teachers and I keep telling them today too, is any piece of digital work is, can be part of their digital portfolio and it can show you growth. Because from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, if those students are continually recording themselves, they're picking up language acquisition. If you're working with uh, emerging students with uh, language supports, they can build up language, vocabulary, and so on. And then you have a record of what they sounded like at the beginning of the year to where they are now. And they can document their growth. So to me, tools like that are very, very important. But the fact that they allow the students to be creative Big thumbs up for sure. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. Well, JC, it has been an honor. It has been a pleasure. And like I said, I've been a longtime follower of your work. So I'm really excited and thankful that you are a guest on the show and that you took time out of your busy schedule because I know you're busy traveling and you're bringing all the knowledge bombs to districts <laughs> all around the nation. So thank you so much for being a guest. And to our audience members, thank you so much for stopping by. Rochelle, thank you so much for being here, dropping by, giving us a shout out and listening to our conversation. And for all of you fans that are out there of the show, you can definitely watch the replay of this video or you can go ahead and check out the podcast, which will be coming out shortly. Don't forget to visit our website at myedtech.life, myedtech.life, where you can catch all our great episodes and where you can also be able, you'll be able to see the show notes for today and see all the links that uh, JC shared. So you can go ahead and connect with her and please follow her on Twitter. It, there's so something so powerful with connecting with other educators on Twitter as well and reaching out to them. So don't be afraid, reach out and we're always here to help. So thank you guys so much for joining us on this Thursday episode here of My EdTech Life. And as always, like I tell you all friends, until next time, don't forget, stay techie.